Hi, Manola. Hi, Leif. Hi, how are you? How are you doing? I'm very good. I was very much looking forward to this. Me too. I was, uh, I was uh, really excited to uh, have this conversation, especially uh, we talked uh, before and you, you had a very interesting outlook about, uh, you know, the, how sustainable leadership needs change. And, and that was a fascinating uh, concept for me. But uh, before we get into anything else, uh, I was hoping maybe you can give us a bit of background on your career and, and what led you into uh, the field, because I found that fascinating when you told that to me as well. <laughs> Well, thank you so very much, and uh, and thank you for the introduction. Um, it's it's been a journey filled with change, not surprisingly so. Um, like I told you, I'm I'm a journalist by trade, and I stumbled into change management completely by accident. And and I do believe that best things in life happen by by accident and when you least expect them. Um, so I, I worked as, as a business and as an investigative journalist for years. Um, and then when I resigned, I went into PR and, uh, and communications. I went into corporate affairs, um, ended up doing marketing and PR within the um, HR services industries. And at some point, I, I went into corporate consulting and, and I heard this, you know, change management. And when I started to look into it, I realized that, you know, I've been doing so many change management things without having the word for them and without being able to label them as such. And yeah. this, this was, you know, probably the first um, steep learning about change management. That is something that we do intuitively. That is something that, that I do believe everyone has default settings for is just a matter of becoming self-aware and, and becoming intentional about it and, and having the right words and the right experiences to recognize it. Yeah, yeah a lot of a lot of these uh, these conversations, uh, one of the common uh, threads that we tend to pull on is actually self-awareness and being aware of uh, what you're dealing with in terms of uh, your leadership style, how you how, how you come off to other people and uh, what you're saying and how it's perceived and uh, understanding also internally, why are you so frustrated with the things that frustrate you? When you look at another manager dealing with similar problems, that's the least of his concerns. <laughs> true, true, very, very true. Um, you know, just a couple of, of reflections on, on leadership and change management and, and quite potentially what they have in common um, is that oftentimes, you know, in search of optimization and efficiency and, and quick wins, um, people tend to leap straight into conversations about methodologies and methods and tools and frameworks. And I believe it's just human nature looking for structure and human mm -hmm. nature looking for concrete things. But like, <clears throat> like you said, there's a lot of value coming out of reflection and self-awareness and mindset and a lot of um, 
conversations and self-conversations about principles and values and value. Because at the end of the day, you know, all methodologies and frameworks and tools, no matter how revolutionary or traditional they are, they are tools and, and a way of packaging things. Right. Right. And, and also, if you're not implementing them, they're all for nothing. Absolutely. Yeah. And also, if you don't know what you're implementing them for, yeah. how, how do you know you're doing a good job? The intention is just as important. I think I think uh, uh, Bob, who's uh, was on our, our last uh, leaders talk, uh, friend of yours as well. Uh, Bob mentioned that the intention is just as important as any action. It is. Yeah. It is. And, and I remember when um, when we talked, we did open the conversation about intentionality, and um, you know where does change management value come from and where leadership value comes from and intentionality i believe is um is is key and it's right. not just about you know good intent or or ill intent but it's about why do you do it and what's the intention behind it be it strategic be it personal be it operational how does it how do, how is it going to affect our business objectives how is it going to affect our per personal objectives or relationship objectives uh and and based on what how it's going to affect those things is going to affect you know how you take the action how you word things how you deal with things and who you involve even yeah it's it's funny that you mention who you involve um i've i've been involved in 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 a series of conversations around stakeholder management, you know, stakeholder analysis and stakeholder management. And um, it, it also ties into what we touched on very, very early on in, in today's conversation. Um, oftentimes, I, I sit in um, stakeholder analysis and mapping exercises and workshops. And, and I listen to people, you know, being very dedicated and committed to defining and understanding and analyzing and mapping influence and impact and all those fancy tools. Um, and towards the end of the conversation, it's, it's almost, you know, like the uh, mic drop moment. Mm -hmm. I ask them, okay, so how long does this list need to get before you list yourselves? And, you know, just like with storytelling, for example, going back to my journalistic days, it's the same with intention. It's not only outward looking, it is also inward looking. And the most important stories and the most important intentions are the ones that, you know, we tell ourselves and we build for ourselves. I, 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 I love that, that perspective because, you know, you have a lot of entrepreneurs and uh, you have a lot of uh, managers that are, uh, they have that really significant sense of ownership. Mm -hmm. And the sense of ownership is a double-edged sword because you tend to forget about serving yourself as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I know a lot of my friends who have launched businesses, me included, um, where we forget to compensate ourselves. We're not even in the equation. Yeah. And that's 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 a big mistake too. Absolutely, and and I can give you an, another quite um, um, you know classic example um, of of 
unintentional self-exclusion. Um, you hear talks about employee experience and try to have conversations about employee experience with people within HR. And I, I did raise the question, like, unless I'm completely oblivious to something, HR people are employees too. So where are they in this employee experience journey? And, and how do they map themselves? That's true. Yeah, I think we often forget uh, to to use this. I actually, I've seen this. It's a very common common mistake that you see in companies is they've written KPIs for the sales teams. They've written KPIs for the marketing teams, anything that drives cash, right? But they neglect not only HR, but they also tend to neglect, like, let's say, internal service departments, IT, and so on. Um, uh, but, but then you have these multinationals where they have gone above and beyond and they have really thought about these things uh, to the point where uh, they offer compensation to these service service departments in terms of they you know some of them call it the ABC award where uh, where if you've saved the company a certain amount of money you, you know you get uh, incentivized with a percentage of the savings and again and in a way it's it's commission for people who normally or let's say cost centers that normally tend to just accumulate expenses rather than drive any cash influx that's true that's that's very true and it reminds me of um of a book i read many many years ago and it was the the beginning of my change management work within it um and you know it just like a lot of other support functions um their work tends to be perceived as purely transactional. Um, and the book is called Benefits Management, and it actually shifts the conversation into delivering value and into opening, you know, opening the conversation not to purely quantitative KPIs. And when you put qualitative KPIs into the conversation, that opens up new perspectives. And like, like we chatted a little bit before um, going live, it, it shifts the conversation from deliverable to outcome and, and from timesheet to value. Right. And, and, and I believe COVID accelerated a lot of long overdue recognition to support functions. And um, I, I hope that is, you know, beyond washing hands and and <laughs> taking care of ourselves I do. I <laughs> value that will remain beyond COVID. yes yes no i mean you you've actually seen a lot of things that you, we, we were we were we were talking earlier um how COVID and remote work as funny as it's you know reduced human physical interaction it's actually created a more human atmosphere and and respect for each other's personal lives as well. Um, uh, I think I, I had mentioned the example of, you know, um, I, I've developed this relationship with my team uh, at Spartan uh, that I normally, I think I would not have had it not been for me in a way being in their homes virtually during our, you know, daily meeting and I see that one has their dog barking in the background and I see one has the, you know, the renovation happening in, the, in their house. 
and they're like, I have to only text because it's too loud here for me to respond vocally. And uh, it, it made us more, way more understanding uh, if someone comes in late. And, and I think another conversation is, is it really sustainable to have attendance uh, be the ultimate uh, guide for, for performance? Well, I, I know that this sounds like a yes or no question. Um, but like all great questions, you know, it, it, it opens um, a layered response. Um, there are industries and there are functions across industries where um, attendance and or remote work is, is a given that's non-negotiable because of the type and the content of the activity. Right. Um, but at, at the end of the day, the conversation for me is about the purpose and the intention of work and, and the use of workspace. And listening to all the, the um, uh, talks and, and principles around future of work, um, it becomes clearer and clearer that there's no one size fits all, not even within the same company. And we are trying to find organizational solutions for some deeply personal journeys and how we relate to work. And, and this whole work-life rebalance and, and blending, this also raises challenges regarding um, attendance and right. the definition of efficiency and the meaning of the timesheets. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at the history as well of, of you know, the eight to eight to five work hour, that was, that was, that was created during the industrial revolution. You know, okay. that's, that was in a time of war where, you know, you, you needed more control over the, the employees and the workers. Uh, but it's it's not the, it can't be the standard across every industry. Some industries, and uh, you know, they might work three to four hours a day, and that's more than enough to bring in enough cash to cover your expenses and make some margin. Uh, but when you look at uh, more traditional industries, uh, let's say logistics, transportation, FMCG, um, these these need more than the normal work hours. More than more than that eight to five. I mean, if you're not in the market constantly trying to, you know, continue to build the relationship with your customers, uh, follow up, cash collections, and so on, then uh, you're you know you're going to fall behind with your competition. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I I remember um um I remember a conversation from many years ago regarding how you can trigger change and how you can trigger conversations about change. And I was reminded recently of this because um, personally, I am trying to find a solution to start talking about change without this conversation being a disruption in itself. Because the reaction is, you know, when people hear change and change management, they're like, okay, so what's, what's coming now that we need to be so intentional about it? 
And the trick is to say, you know, it's, it's nothing. First of all, we don't know what's coming. I mean, to all intents and purposes, look, look at COVID. Yeah. So we don't know what's coming and, and VUCA is, is the reality here to stay. It's been here for a long time, but I think we're just fully realizing what it means and, and how permanent it is. Um, and there are people who naturally embrace change and, and there are industries who are naturally, um, you know, risk and, and change addicts. Um, and then there are very traditional approaches and very traditional industries. And um, there's an amazing book. Um, I think I mentioned this when, when we talked, it's called The Leopard. And, and it talks about how the, the um, Sicilian aristocracy had to change their whole social systems and social networking in order to keep their lifestyle after the, the Risorgimento, after the Italian War for Independence. And I oftentimes start my change management workshop saying that in order for things to stay the same, we need to change. And you see, you know, there's, there's a moment of, you know, what, what have we just heard? But then you start to talk about, hey, if, if we want to keep market share, yeah, or competitive advantage, we, we need to change how maybe we define our customers or how we define our processes or how we define, you know, the, the, the value that we deliver to each other and to customers. Um, and, and, and I think that also ties into, you know, with sustainability. Sustainability is not keeping things the same, but sustainability is being able to adapt and being able to adapt proactively. Right. Just adapting reactively, that, that's also losing a little bit of value. Right. You're gonna, we're going to need these you know, uh, future sustainable leaders to be able to identify the changes that are happening in real time. Uh, and, and I feel like technology, not, you know, let, let's say aside from COVID and everything like that, technology is creating changes way faster than we could have expected. And then it's just been, uh, majorly sped up with COVID. So we need people who can take raw data and really see what's happening. Uh, and I think that's going to be a key competency in future leaders as well. Uh, not only taking the data, but what, what, what can we do with this data and how can we make our business more adaptable on a, on a quicker scale? Data literacy is, is definitely a skill for the future. Um, what, what I've seen is that just being able to read data is, is not enough. Hmm. Um, data without context only gives you a snapshot and it doesn't give you you know um a look into trends or it doesn't give you anything qualitative it gives you a lot of quantitative things um yes. regarding regarding technologies is definitely a critical tool but it is a tool and, and one of the questions, especially in, in, in technology adoption or in technology-driven transformation is how do we relate to technology 
are we using it as an enabler and accelerator or are we allowing it to be a trigger and and that depend that that really drives what we want out of it true true you, i, can, I, I mean, can give you an example we talked about marketing yeah so how do you go about um you know your crm tool do you look at your you know strategy do you look at your marketing strategy or your you know end-to-end -end sales process and you choose a technology that best serves you know your, your strategy and your operations or do you go for the latest and greatest and you know the the technology lingo makes you believe that technology will solve your problem no. technology helps you solve your problem because you might end up with this ufo crm and you still need to do your your market segmentation and you still need to do you know your your um uh, product strategy and you still need to do your your you know go to market strategy the crm will will not help you with that thinking, it will prompt your thinking by putting in front of you, you know, a lot of fields that you need to fill in with information. But it will not give you the answer. It will give you a structure to make sense of your answers, but it will not do the thinking for you. That's right. No, and actually, I think uh, I've been dealing with a similar problem uh, with with actually the recruitment industry. Uh, I mean. There are companies now that are launching that are AI uh, kind of ATS systems, applicant tracking systems now. And I, I would be approaching clients because we do things, definitely we use modern recruitment methods. Uh, the, the problem though is when I approach a client and they start to tell me, you know, we use this brand new AI system. I'm like, I'm sorry, do you, are you saying you trust your AI more than you trust your gut feeling that has allowed us to survive for you know millions of years you know so it's you can't take the per the people out of the hr you can't i mean ai will only be able to to make judgment calls based on the data that you feed it you know uh but people uh are the best judge of people and that will never change that is that is true um you know, the, the intelligent combination is business intelligence with artificial intelligence and emotional intelligence. I, I believe that's the intelligent mix of, of sustainability. Yeah. Yeah, and you, I mean, you, you have people that specialize in certain things regardless, um, whatever it might be. Let's say it's sales. Uh, let's say it's anything. But to really be good at sales, you can't be a program. Like, you, you know, you, you, were, you were telling me um, that you have to be able to adapt change. You have to be, you know, that's the true leadership skill is change above all else. So if your client comes to you with something that wasn't programmed into your brain, let's say, how is an AI supposed to answer, right? So sales is just as much a human uh function within organizations as HR. Uh, you're dealing with people, you're dealing with emotions, you're dealing with people that are 
having a bad day, which is not a factor that you can predict or control. Uh, it's not a controlled environment. Uh, and, and being able to adapt based on the body language that you're reading, uh, based on asking a question based on the body language to understand why is someone displaying this body language is so much further beyond uh, your standard uh, AI or your programming. And a true leader, uh, from what uh, I think we both agree on, is the adaptability and the capability to change in instant moments as well as long-term uh, strategy. Mm. That, that's very true. And, and listening to you, for some reason, two um, unrelated stories or, or examples ran through my mind. One of them, and I think it's this ties back into people's need for something concrete. And the same thing that drives them towards um, talking about change in terms of methodologies and tools. Um, probably it's the same principle that drives them to survey and oftentimes over-survey because that's data, you know. And data. You have numbers and percentages and, you know, Likert scales and you have, you know, force distribution and you have NPS scoring and what have you. Um, but unless you get context for that through, and, and here's breaking news, through conversations, right. that, that's a snapshot and it right. might be misleading. It might be misleading. So that, that is one. And the second, regarding body language and the ability to change, is not just the ability to change um, to whatever is happening, but is also the ability to change in, in such a way that your self-awareness of your mindset or of your mood that day does not impact other people. And I will give you an example. And this is, this is true story. Um, there was a company going through massive transformation. And it was one of those cases when transformation initiatives really meant downsizing. Yeah, so it, it was a, a fancy way um, and not that much straightforward to say that people will be sent home. And one of the very, very senior leaders came to the office one day and literally walked, you know, through the open area without saying anything, went into, into, um, went into his office and, um, you know, shut the door and just sat there um, super quiet for the entire rest of the day, which was unusual. And people thought that there was something happening and for the rest of the day, they were updating their CVs and um, all right. Another thing that is interesting uh another concept regarding uh change management and being able to adapt to change uh and the conversations that manola was talking about 
uh, was is basically um, if you have uh, an employee, a salesperson that's normally a top performer, and they start to drop uh, in their performance. Uh, hi, Manola. Hi, Manola. Hi, Sorry, I, I was. My laptop decided to have a nervous breakdown, but I'm I'm back. So I was I was kind of freestyling uh, <laughs> for a second, and I was talking uh, in terms of the conversations and, and getting back onto, um, you know, uh, not always being a quantitative factor. Whether you decide, let's say, let's fire someone because although they were a top salesperson and now their performance dropped, okay, now they're not good anymore. You know, quanta, in terms of, you know, uh, quanta, quantifying it, yeah, okay, they're not justified anymore. But if you sit down and you have a human in, in interaction with them and say, hey, look, normally your sales are uh, at peak. You're one of the top salespeople. But lately, the past two to three months, we've been seeing that you're not achieving any of your targets. Yeah. What's going on with you? Right. There's that human question that you can't get through numbers. So what's going yeah. on with you? It could be there's, a personal problem. There's a, um, there's a very um, famous um, short video of, of Simon Sinek. And, and he explains how does empathy sound like in an office. And it goes like, you haven't reached your sales target for the past three months. If this happens again in this quarter, I don't know what kind of conversation we will have. So that's no empathy, whereas empathy sounds like you've been you've been quite behind on your targets for the past three months. What's going on? How can I help? Right. And um, um, go going back to what I was just saying before the, the technology hiccup, I I often say that I won't be impressed with technology until I can download ice cream. So when, when that happens, um, it will be a good day for change management. Um, but you know, how a leader acts impacts the team. And I've, I've seen so many examples recently where teams literally grow into the energy of their leaders. And um, if, if they're having a bad day, and oh, and, and the, that leader's behavior was prompted by a huge fight he had with, uh, with his mom that morning. It had nothing to do with business-related realities yeah but people completely misread it right right um, and <clears throat> i don't think that okay figures are accurate i wouldn't say that figures are true because you make them true depending on why and how you interpret them so figures are accurate but they don't give you the the entire picture Another example from, from a project, and it was a um, technology implementation project. We put together KPIs. Um, the, the sponsors and, and the steering committee, they only said, okay, to quantitative KPIs, because that's concrete, you know. And come go live, we looked at the number of uh, requests placed with the health center. And, you know, huge panic we had 137 tickets okay from a population of close to 3000 so that wasn't necessarily that bad but when we looked at the content of those tickets there were literally two questions 
asked by 137. And wow. one of them, you know, made us realize that there was a, a last minute tweak made by the, the vendor, the solution vendor, that did not reach the training people. And, you know, the, the training materials were not um, updated. Right. But we could have been, you know, panicked forever for having 137 tickets raised within the first week. Yeah. Um, I, I think in situations like that, it's it, it can it can easily be embarrassing or you can easily mitigate that situation. And th this goes back to being adaptable to situations, right? You see enough questions being raised. And I think if you sometimes take ownership and that's that's take ownership like, hey, yeah, we we did miss this. <laughs> yeah. And we will get back to you. We'll send you an email at the end of the training uh, with the correct data. Then you've mitigated yeah. the the problem accurately. Yeah, I I, love, I I see a comment in um, just now. So we have to be ready for change when changing is necessary, or we shall always be ready for change as a process. Um, I would say that we should always be ready for change. I would argue a little bit on change as a process, and I will say why. I I believe mm -hmm. change is something that we are built for. If we start, you know, with, with our very own biology and, and the cell regeneration processes, if you want. So change is something extremely natural. One thing that, that um, is a challenge to, to change managers is the fact that people have this sense-making reflex of thinking in, in start date and end date, because that gives them comfort. That gives them a way of pacing themselves. That gives them a sense of progress. Yeah. So I would say that change is a reality. We manage it through processes and we manage it with tools. But change is, is the fluid constant reality of our yeah. personal lives, of our businesses, and, and, and of our lives. And if, if nothing else, COVID proved that that change is ongoing. And there is no real, foolproof, accurate way of saying when something mm -hmm. starts and something ends. Yeah. There is this amazing lady, she, she delivers uh, change management executive trainings at, at the university in, in, in the US. And she starts um, all her lectures saying that project management has a start date and an end date. Change management has a start date, which is actually an end. And, and I believe that- It's an end to how things were done. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So to, to answer um, a little bit in a more structured, process-driven driven way, um, we should always be ready for change. And we should also be flexible about the processes, methodologies, and tools that we want to use to manage it. Because it depends on the industry, 
it depends on the maturity level of the business. It depends on personal appetite for change. It depends on the gap between where we are and where we want to be. Yeah. So process, methodology, tools, conversation is secondary to what is our intention for change and what is our appetite for change. Well, I mean, if you think about it like this as well, I mean, every business, uh, there's, there's a rule of thumb is if you're not growing, you're falling behind. Right. Yeah. So that's just, that's a general rule of thumb. I don't think it's always accurate. Um, however, if you are supposed to be continuously growing, you're going to need more manpower. You're going to need uh, constantly be updating your technology that you're using. How many companies can any of us name from the top of our head? that have updated their ERP systems and how much of a change process did that involve? Uh, sometimes a lot of companies don't have the people that know how to use, let's say SAP. So they have to hire someone in specific departments, uh, wherever they're weak to implement the, the data migration to the new ERP system. Uh, someone with, with that transfer experience into the new system. So that alone is, is, a, is a situation of change, but also hiring anyone, anyone, whether they're a junior in a department or whether they're a manager, especially if they're a manager, uh, it's going to take a, a level of adaptation. Uh, your client base is going to grow. That's going to require an ad adaptation as well. Um, anything you do, really. I mean, life, how, how many conversations have, has anyone had? throughout their life where let's say a friend stops talking to you when you're in high school, you start to get dramatic about it. And then, you know, you're, what, what's the number one thing your parents tell you? Ah, make new friends. It's change. Change is normal. <laughs> yeah. Change, change is definitely normal. And, um, you know, looking, looking back at, at what happened, what, what I think is also important is to leave room for the unexpected. So plan as much as you can, you know, expect the unexpected. But at the same time, do not get yourself into mind tracks. And the the example that I that I give most often is, you know, in, in winter, um, how cars get out of the parking lot. The, the first car that has to go through, you know, virgin 10, 10 centimeter heights. No, you know, it's, it's, it's not that, that okay. The second one still can steer a little bit to the right, to the left and change course. But by the time, you know, the 26th car wants to leave, especially if the tracks have been frozen, it's, it's quite difficult to change direction. Mm -hmm. So don't, don't think in such a way that you become the 26th car Yeah, and, and it's difficult to change direction. Yeah. Um, I, I hope that, that, um, we, we answered, um, the question to some degree, um, you. You mentioned, you know, companies 
um, companies changing and, and companies changing technology. And, and yes, technology is, is, a, is a big conversation, but um, we talk about data literacy. And one yeah. of the questions that, that I raised in, 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 a, in a meeting recently at, at work is, you know, we, we talk about the future of work and how can we make sure that we also talk about the future of people? Mm -hmm. and yeah, I, I, I think that's that's um, that's an, an equally critical conversation. It's not it just is. about the technology and it's not just about the workspaces and it's not just about the ways of working, but it's about how we relate differently to one another how we perceive ourselves and how we perceive others and how others perceive us. Uh, emotional intelligence is probably, in my opinion, going to become one of the most important things. And the, the good news, though, is that emotional intelligence can be developed. It's not like IQ. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it takes a conscious effort. It takes a, you know, a daily, okay, I said this to this person, they reacted this way and not blame someone for reacting, mm. but instead ask, maybe if I said it this way, what was the problem from me? If so, how can I avoid that? You know, like, but it, it, it takes a sense of ownership and mistakes. It takes a sense of ownership and creating conflict sometimes. And, and we have a natural tendency to, you know, push the blame somewhere else. Um. Yeah, but, yeah, it's so funny that you mentioned this. Um, a very, very enjoyable and, and inspiring recent conversation was about disagreement. And, and how oftentimes we put this equal sign between disagreement and conflict. And it's not the same. And, and how do we go about expressing disagreement? And what's that space, you know, between not expressing it in the heat of the moment, but at the same time, not, not letting it fester either until become, it becomes this additional entity into a relationship, be it mm -hmm. personal or professional equally. Um, and for some reason, we lost the ability of having conversations covering different viewpoints in, in an inclusive and intentionally inclusive manner. And I'm yeah. not talking just about very sensitive topics. I'm, I'm talking about everyday stuff. I'm talking about saying, I have a different experience or I have a different opinion because, or from where I stand, this, this looks like this. Mm. Um, and you know, being being open to disagreement, I think it's it's the highest expression of diversity and inclusion, because yes. that that is diversity of thought and diversity of opinion, which is built on having as many and as diverse people around you as possible, and being intentional about having that. Right. And that's, that's a guarantee of sustainability yeah. for me. But like you said, I mean, I, I'm just going to circle back here. But, uh, you know, 
the biggest part of being a sustainable leader is you i mean you you hit the nail on the head when you said it's self-awareness uh but you can't be self-aware if you're not honest with yourself and having that open conversation consistently with everyone else uh yeah there, I, there is a word um that almost got the status of, of taboo in the business world and that's humble and humility um and there is this amazing quote and i was i was trying to remember who said it but i will i will try to to remember it or find it that being humble is not about thinking less of yourself but it's about thinking of yourself less and and that kind of you know stayed with me and um I can go into, I can grow into my own space and, and respecting and acknowledging and appreciating the same thing for everyone around me. Um, and I, I remember um, I refreshed my memory uh, with the attributes of, of uh, sustainable leaders and humility was one of them. Humility is very important. and. and I've, I've heard it a lot lately, uh, not lately, I mean, since I started my career, um, actually, uh, but you don't see it practiced as often as, you know, as we talk about it, we, it's, and, and that's the sad truth. Yeah. Um, being humble is not what we're naturally inclined to do. No, because you know, we were, we were, um, for, for the right reasons, oftentimes, yeah, we were pushed to, um, compete and we were pushed to prove ourselves and, and we were pushed to achieve things and we were pushed, you know, for deliverables and we were mm -hmm. pushed for project management and we were pushed for KPIs. Right. A variety, a variety of perspectives, and and again for all the right reasons. Right. But at the same time, we do also have a natural tendency to seek qualitative KPIs in our life, mm -hmm. um, and that that doesn't come from bank accounts. Right. Right. Yeah. But, but, you know, I think we need to, I mean, uh, if, if I could uh, change one thing uh, about uh, work environments, it would be maybe not change, but let's say motivate and, and, and you know, get it, the ball rolling with a little bit more focus is uh, building an, a culture of collaboration. Uh, don't only incentivize for single-handed achievements, but also incentivize for supporting others, you know? And I think that's just as, if not more important than the single-handed achievement uh, incentivization. Well, if, if we look at the title of today's conversation, um, you know, Sustainable Leadership, um, I believe sustainability is also 
about how you go um, about defining your legacy. Mm. Um, what's your legacy? A, a PNL spreadsheet <laughs> or people that you inspired to grow other people with direct impact into your right. PNL spreadsheet? Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I believe that's true sustainability. Um, and, and, and I believe that, that you know, um, a statement of, of the highest value legacy that you could have. And, and that is leadership. And, and, and this is a message that's very important to me. That's leadership beyond hierarchy, beyond role, beyond status, beyond age beyond seniority right that's you know how you touch people oftentimes you know leadership is associated with an executive corner office or you know having senior or executive in your title although we all know what marketing executive really means <laughs> when you start out your career um but um I, I honestly believe that that leadership is not only about inspiring and motivating people to follow your ideas, but is more importantly about inspiring and motivating others to follow their ideas. Right. And 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 that's that's to me is sustainability. And then, you know, change management is really a, a secondary conversation. And, and, you know, people ask me what change management is. I said, well, what do you need the definition for? If you, if you want a, a colorful, very nice, impactful PowerPoint slide, Google it. And you can find, you know, a three-word definition or a three-paragraph definition. Um, but for me, is sense-making. And my biggest, biggest learning for change management goes back to my journalistic background. And that was a training in humility, if you want. Because what I learned and, and, and my truth is that I am just as good as I can make sense to other people. And I, I honestly believe that storytelling for sustainable leadership, for change management, for diversity and inclusion, for all the big themes of our lives, storytelling is a critical sense-making literacy. And, and, and I think I told you this, and, and it sounds funny coming from a change manager, but my dream is that there, there will be people living in a world where conversations about sustainability and diversity and inclusion and change management will not happen because there there will be present and, and embedded in, in the very reality of, of, of the life and of the world and they will not need to be addressed that's true well i mean i think I'm so thank. I want to thank you for uh, being on with us today. 
and I think we're uh, running close to the uh, to the end. But I just wanted to ask you uh, if you want to leave us uh, with uh, words of wisdom uh, from your experience, uh, anything that uh, can just keep us going uh, and 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 doing our jobs the best that we can. Well, first and foremost, thank you so very much for the invite and, and thank you all for, for joining in. Um, I would I would just say that um, change is, is not here to stay. Change has always been here and change has always been with us and, and, and in us. Um, and um, there is um, there is a quote that I absolutely love that goes that if, if nothing ever changed, we wouldn't have butterflies. And, um, you know, don't forget that we are all our most senior key stakeholders in any change initiative. Well, thank you so much, Manola. Thank you. Thank you. Have thank a great you. day and thank you for anyone watching and, uh, and interested in sustainable leadership and especially change management. Have a great night. Thank you so much. Bye everyone.